Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. There was most certainly a lot going on, but there was really just one thing on his mind. Jesus was on top of a very high mountain with his inner core, Peter, James, and John. Like that, Jesus' clothes became white, brighter than the sun, whiter than anybody could possibly bleach his clothes. And just like that, uh, God the Father's voice, it ripped through the crowds, through the clouds. And he said this, he said, this is my son, This is my son whom I love. There was a lot going on, that's for sure, on the mountain of transfiguration. But the voice of God the Father cuts through it all very clearly and says this, listen, listen to my son. After he talks about how pleased he is in him, to James, Peter, and John, he says, make sure you listen to what he has to say. It could not be more clear. There was a lot going on in Jesus' ministry, but God wanted to to cut through the clouds and make sure they listened to what Jesus had to say. And yet, they argued. Jesus comes down from the mountain of transfiguration with his three disciples, meets up with the rest, and they're arguing. The other disciples, they saw a large crowd, Jesus, Peter, James, and John around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. What could they be arguing about? What, what possibly could Jesus' followers be arguing about? They soon find out when Jesus walks up, they're standing there like scolded school children, mumbling, saying, well, we we thought we could drive out the demons, but they thought we couldn't drive them out, but now we thought we could, but we can't. And Jesus, we don't know what to do. It's then that a father steps through the crowd, holding the hand of his young son, looks ravished and weak, Because throughout his life, there has been a demon possessing his body and it's starting to take its toll. So Jesus does what only he has the power to exercise and do. And he does, he drives the demon out and everybody watching, all of them, were amazed at the greatness of God. The crowds around Jesus go wild. Everybody is absolutely going crazy around him. There's no mistake about it. There's a lot going on in that crowd. There's a lot going on in Jesus' ministry. But look, watch this, Jesus' reaction. There's just one thing on his mind. He turns to his disciples, and while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Remember what God the Father said? Listen to him. Let these words sink into your ears. Jesus said, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. It could not be more clear. There was a lot going on in the crowds in Jesus' ministry, but there was really just one thing on his mind. It was him fulfilling his destiny, fulfilling all prophecy, fulfilling all history, going 
to Jerusalem to die for your sins and, your, and mine. And what did the disciples do? They argued. They argued about something totally separate. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. This is how they follow up Jesus telling them point blank, I'm going to die for you. I'm, I'm going to die and I, I have to. I'm going to give myself up. They argue about which of them is the greatest. It's almost laughable, isn't it? There's so much going on in Jesus' ministry, but make no mistake about it, there's just one thing on his mind. So how does he follow this up? Well, he, he corrects his disciples. But then it follows this in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's a cute English saying, but the Greek idiom is even more dramatic. It says he set his face towards Jerusalem. In other words, what Jesus did is he put his head down and single-mindedly, determinedly walked to Jerusalem, to Calvary, to do the one thing that he, he came to do, to fulfill his mission, to fulfill all of your salvation. Well, there was a lot going on. Well, there's just one thing on Jesus' mind. I think he's trying to tell us something. We're starting out this sermon series called Our Church. And there's a lot of things that are good and a lot of good things going on at our church. I mean, just take a look at any given Sunday. You come here and there's a lot going on. There's a worship team getting set up with all of this. And it's not just what you see up here going on. No, behind the scenes, they're also practicing and rehearsing throughout the week. And not just the worship band, there's also host teams coming here every single week, organizing themselves in order to set up church and make it all happen. There's that happening. There's kids' classes. There's kids' nursery. There's Sunday school. There's adult Bible classes. And not only that, there's small groups, Bible classes going on throughout week, and more Bible classes happening during the week, people serving one another, and in untold ways that we couldn't even begin to count. There's people serving in their community, and that's not just talking about like what our church is doing, it's what you are doing. There's a lot going on at our church. There's a lot going on in Jesus' ministry as well. But Jesus says there's one thing. There's just one thing that should be on the forefront of our minds. What's that? What is that one thing? Well, Jesus, throughout his ministry, drew a very clear arrow to what that was about. It was to his cross. It was to him suffering and dying and rising again and saving the whole world from their sins. And the arrow didn't change after he did all that. In fact, it just pointed back to it. He tells his disciples after he rises from the dead, tell them, tell them about that. Share with people the good news about what I did for them. Look at his last words to his disciples in the gospel. Look at the book of Acts. There's one thing that he wants his disciples doing, sharing the good news of the gospel, the message that your sins have been forgiven and you are right with God. There is no wrath. There is no anger, no more. But on account of Jesus, you are his. Think he's trying to tell us something? 
We read it in our lesson earlier today from Romans chapter 10. He tells us, how can people call on the one they have not believed in? How can people believe in the one who they have not heard about? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who share good news. It could not be more clear. Jesus' words cut through all that's going on in our ministry, and he makes it abundantly clear that there should be one thing, one thing on our minds. As Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem, as he sets his face, as he points the front of his face, it says, towards the city of Jerusalem, he encounters three people along the way. Three people come up to him and he asks two to be his follower. One, excuse me, I flipped that. Two ask if they can follow him. One, he asks to be his follower. And in essence, Jesus says to all of them the same thing. Look, there, there's a lot going on in life, but there's one thing on my mind. And those who follow me, I, I want there to be just one thing on their mind as well. The text that we're going to look at uh, follows that account in Scripture this morning. And, and what Jesus does is he, he poses three questions to those disciples, really. Uh, questions that were not just for them, but were and are for us as well. It starts out this way. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As Jesus and his disciples were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and, and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Essentially, someone comes up and says, Jesus, I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm really excited and really enthusiastic to be a Christian, to be a follower. And Jesus says, listen, actually, it, it's going to be more comfortable for foxes and for birds where I'm going. This is the first question that we're considering this morning is, are you too comfortable to follow Christ? This first question is one that swings and hits particularly hard for 21st century, 2020 Christian Americans. And the reason is because we are addicted to comfort. We love comfort. Our lives are comfortable. I mean, think about it. I do not need to leave my house to buy anything. I don't even need to leave my house to buy groceries anymore. Just click and it's there. You don't have to leave your house for entertainment, like to order a DVD, to pick up a DVD. No, click, it's there. You don't have to even get off your seat to adjust the temperature in your house anymore. Click, it's warmer. You do not have issues with comfort in your life. Our lives are set up that way. You don't have to go where you are uncomfortable. Increasingly, people don't even have to go to work if they don't want to anymore. They can work at home. You don't have to put yourself next to people you find uncomfortable next to yourself. You can stay with your friends and, and your comfort zone all that you want. You can even drive places and not have to get out of your car anywhere. Even Home Depot has a drive through now. Literally, our lives are built around comfort. I'm not knocking the American lifestyle, nor the technology or the innovation. But I am asking this. Do you place your comfort over Christ? 
Does our uniquely 2020 American addiction to comfort, well, does it conflict with the call, the arrow that God has given us to go and be precisely in the presence of people who do not know good news, who do not have his good news and all they hear is bad news or fake news? Look, he, he, he talks to a guy who comes to him and is all about being his follower, who wants to be a Christian, who wants to be his disciple. And he says, look, it, it's going to be uncomfortable. That's when the guy says, I'm, I'm out. Ask yourself, where is that in you? Where does your love of comfort conflict with your faith? with you following Christ. We're talking about our church. We're talking about being a part of this church, about being Christians, about, about being a part of a church that, that God wants churches to look like. It starts with repentance. It starts with renewal. It starts with an honest look at how we're following the one who's called us. Look, we, we have mantras sayings at our church that remind us uh, about our values, the value we're talking about, that we share good news. One of the mantras that we say from time to time is this, is that we don't make decisions based on the preferences of the people who have been here the longest, but we make decisions based on not our preferences, but the people, people who are not here yet. Really? Really? Are we comfortable with that? Are we really comfortable sacrificing our preferences so that one more, one more person might know that there is one who has lived and died and rose again for them? Are we comfortable with that? We have another mantra. We often say that we embrace change. We embrace change because the message of the gospel, the message of Christ's love compels us to to share that message, a message which does not change in an ever-changing culture. Therefore, we embrace change. Really? Are you really comfortable with change? Are you really comfortable following a leader, following Christ, who calls you to change? To change the way you're living? Are you too comfortable to follow Christ? Jesus and his disciples walk on, and Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Seems like a pretty legit request. He wants to mourn and grieve the loss of his dad. Jesus' words are kind of hard to hear. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God not easy to hear. It seems like a pretty reasonable request. I've always had a hard time reading these words. What is Jesus talking about when he says, let the dead bury their own dead? Well, essentially saying what we've been saying all along. There are a good many things going on in your life. There are a good many things that you can do. But me, my followers, there's just one thing on my mind, and that's going, going and proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God, sharing the good news. He's asking, are you too busy to follow me? 
There are an endless amount of to-do. There are millions and millions of legitimate and good things that you can do in your life. And after you do all million of those things, guess what? There's a million more good things that you can do in life. But what Jesus is saying to his disciples, to me and to you, to his followers, well, what are you going to put first? Listen, there's, there's just one thing that you can do in this life that you cannot do after you die, that you cannot do after you are in heaven. You know what that is? Well, maybe two. You can't sin after you're in heaven. But what I'm thinking of is this. You cannot share the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel with people who do not know it. You can't do that in heaven. What Jesus is saying is, do you want to make an eternal difference? Look, at, there, there are, are hundreds and millions of things that the unbelieving world can do. And they're, and they're worldly-wise, secularly, good things to do. But, but there's only one thing. There's only one thing that I have on my mind. It's going and proclaiming the news of the kingdom of God. Jesus and his disciples, they walk on. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and, and say goodbye to my family. Also, an understandable thing to ask. Jesus' response. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, ladies, can I ask you um, to imagine uh, a scenario with me? Uh, a question. Imagine um, you're on a date, okay? And if you're married, imagine it's, let's say, your first date uh, that you ever went on with your husband, okay? Let's say you're at a restaurant together and you're enjoying a good conversation and you're talking to your date and your date is engaged in listening to you and your waitress brings out the food, sets it down, and then she turns to go back to the kitchen and, ladies, the date with you looks back, turns the head from looking at you to follow the waitress back to the kitchen. Would that be something that you're okay with? No, certainly not. Let's say the conversation continues. You let it slide and a, and a table next to you stands up and the same thing happens. He looks back, continues and follows a, a female out the door when he's sitting there at the table with you. Would that person be fit for a second date? Would that person be fit for a potential marriage spouse? No, there's some serious red flags here. There's some serious commitment issues here. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Are you too non-committal to follow me? Jesus is saying, here, I'm here. I'm sitting at the table. I am committed to you. Are you committed to me? If you're sitting here at the table with me, you are on a date to go and share the good news about the kingdom of God with other people. Look, we have this God who is laser focused, who is passionate about one thing, going to the cross and then telling people about what he did on the cross for them. Where do we get this idea that we can follow a God like that who is single-minded and determined to just one thing? Where, where do we get the idea that we can be fuzzy-minded about what following him is about? That we can be following him with this non-committedness? Where does that idea come from? Luke chapter 9 ends and Luke chapter 10 begins in this way. 
After this, after the Lord encounters these three people, the Lord appointed 72 other people and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. Where I come from in church circles, this verse gets talked about a lot. Uh, This verse gets used a lot as a prayer or an encouragement that there are people out there, there are people out there, it's a ripe field who, who want to, who need to hear the good news about Jesus. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, ask God to send out workers into that harvest field. In other words, ask. Ask God that he send more men and women to be pastors and teachers and missionaries out there to get sent out into the harvest field. Have you heard the verse described or maybe talked about similarly? Look at the context. He's not talking about more pastors. He's not talking to the 12 disciples. He's not talking to the three disciples who are with them. This verse is not about more pastors. It's about more people. He's talking about sending more people like you out into the harvest field to go, to go and work with the Lord of the harvest, to go work in his harvest field with him, sharing the good news seed of the gospel, sharing that with other people. Listen, it is a not biblical model to set up the church in such a way where there is one guy preaching and proclaiming and everybody else is simply paying and praying. I'm gonna say that again because it's important. It is not a biblical model of church to set the church up in such a way where there is one guy preaching and proclaiming and sharing the good news and everybody else is, is paying and praying. Our church needs to move away from the idea that it is okay for all of us to just come gather here and listen to one guy talk about the good news content that we call the gospel and hear all this good news about what has been done with him. And then we go and we just keep it to ourselves. It is for sharing. It is the mission that Christ has clearly drawn an arrow towards for us in following him. And I get it. It's hard. Jesus himself understood that. He said, go, listen, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I am a pastor. (laughs) And yet the words, the words that I, I share here on Sundays, that Jesus loves you and he's forgiven all your sins, that I love you and there's a place for you here, that, that there is a place for you in heaven. Oh, when I'm not at our church, those words come out like bricks. Those words come out with a lot of difficulty. And Jesus told us why. It's, it's not going to be easy. Unless, of course, you remember why. You remember why he's calling you to leave your comfort zone, to leave the lives of comfort and busyness, and to leave all of the commitments that we, we think are so important. Oh, then when we remember why he's doing that, it, it starts to make sense. Listen, so many times he says go and so frequently we stay, but the 72 they went and, and what happened was amazing. Well, 
what happened was predictable. Jesus said, where, where my word goes out, it will achieve the purpose for which I desire. And look what happens. The 72 return. They, they returned with joy because when they went out and they shared the good news message of the gospel, it was met with success. And yet laser focused, single-mindedly, Jesus replies. He says, it's not about your success. It's, it's, it's not about what happens when you do it. Listen, this is, this is what it's about. Jesus replied, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. My friends, this is what it is all about. Your names are written, etched in stone in the temple in heaven, in holy Zion. Your names have been written in heaven already, there and now, written in the blood of Jesus Christ. Signed, sealed, and delivered. This is why we share good news, and this is the good news that your name is written in heaven. This is why we call it good news, because it's, it's news. It's, it's something that has happened. It is something that has happened in the past. That's what good news is. It is a fact. It is not good advice that we share. It is not, this is what you need to go and do, and this is why you need to get right with God. No, it's good news. It's Jesus telling you that, that your relationship with God, your connection to God, your connection to heaven. It's something that's not based on what you do. It's not based on how you follow some advice out there, or how you follow some kind of moral code. No, the good news, it's based in Christ. It's based in something that has happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus resolutely set his face toward a hill called Calvary climbed up it and burst forth from the tomb and said, it's finished. It's all done. You are as good as there. You are as good as there in heaven with me forever. <laughs> Have we sinned by failing to follow Christ and, and being too, too comfortable in our lives? Yes. Who hasn't? <laughs> who hasn't sinned in that way. And yet here is some comforting news. Jesus says, your relationship with me is not based on what you do. It is based on this, this message, that your name is written in heaven. This is some good news for you to share. Your name is in heaven's record book and it's not coming out. Have we misprioritized our relationship with Christ? Have we, have we been too busy <laughs> with how we followed Christ and concerned ourselves with other things? Of course. Of course, we have sinned in that way. And yet Jesus comes and he says, look at, look at, you have messed up your to-do list and placed other things way above me, but look at mine. You are priority number one and I have done it all. It is finished. You are there. You are with me forever in heaven. Have we been unfaithful? Have, have we struggled with, uh, well, commitment issues in our relationship with Christ? Yeah, but he knew that. He knew that would happen. And so he said to us, I am going to commit to you long before I, I knew you could ever commit to me. In fact, I am going to wed myself to you. I'm going to marry myself to you, the church, and you are going to be my bride. You are going to be mine. And all your faithlessness, it has been forgiven. It has been forgotten. And as for my faithfulness to you, you do not ever have to worry because our names are written together there in heaven and it will not change. Your name is in heaven's record book. That's some good news.
past week, there's been some news um, about a man who uh, is in some other um, record books. If you haven't heard the news already, uh, last week, Sunday, at about this time, Kobe Bryant, the NBA legend and NBA great, uh, died in a helicopter crash with his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, and seven other people. Helicopter crash into the side of a, a hill covered in fog in Southern California. The news of this was absolutely shocked the sports community, the NBA community, and millions of others. I see, Kobe Bryant was unquestionably one of the best players to ever play in the NBA. And his influence not only was in the basketball world and the sports world, but he inspired millions and millions of others. And so it makes sense. Throughout this week, there has been an unparalleled amount of media coverage and news stories and blogs coming out uh, around this very tragic thing that occurred. A lot of the stories that I read this week, they centered on the tragic accident itself, the, the fact that something went terribly wrong uh, with the f weather and this helicopter. Others of the news stories and the videos that you see out there, they, they center around the friends and the family and the fans paying tribute and commemorating the life of Kobe Bryant. Others simply recount his legacy and his great achievements that he's had uh, throughout his NBA career. The fact that his name is in very many places in the NBA record books. I mean, he had a 20-year career and he won five NBA championships. He was a two-time NBA Finals champion. He was an 18-time NBA All-Star, four-time NBA All-Star Game MVP, two-time NBA League scoring leader. Two of his jerseys were, are, were retired by the LA Lakers. And this coming fall, he is most certainly gonna be a first ballot Hall of Famer in the NBA Hall of Fame. That is all written in the NBA record books, most certainly, and that's what so much much of what I have seen has covered. But you want to know what I haven't seen covered? Not one bit. Not one bit has been about where his name is written as far as it concerns the life that's most important. I mean, did you know that Kobe Bryant was a practicing Christian man? <laughs> Did you know that Kobe Bryant at 41 years old woke up his 13-year-old daughter on a day where they were flying to go play in a basketball tournament and they went to a morning prayer service at 6 a.m. and they celebrated Holy Communion at 7 a.m. before they got on the helicopter where they would later lose their life just a few hours later? Did you know that? Did you realize that? Why is no one saying, do not rejoice that Kobe Bryant is an NBA great and a really nice guy. Rejoice in the fact that his name is written in heaven. Rejoice in the fact that his daughter's name is written in heaven. Listen, there are a good many things going on in your life. There's a good many things going on in Kobe Bryant's life. There's a good many things going on in my life. But I want there to be one thing on my mind when I die. I want there to be one thing on my friend's minds, on my family's mind when I die. And that is that my name is written in heaven. That is that my name is written in heaven by the same hands that were stretched out on the cross. That is what I want people to know. There's a good many other things that you are going to achieve in your life. There's a good many things that God willing, we're gonna to achieve together through our church. But there's one thing that I want to be on our minds. 
And that's that. That our names are written in heaven. Now, maybe this isn't your church (laughs) or you don't think of it that way. Thank you for suffering through a sermon about this church. But now you know our heart. Now you know unmistakably what the heart of this church is about. It is about sharing good news, that good news, that your name is written in heaven. That's good news. That's security. That's, that, that means no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in death, you can walk around with security. You can walk around with confidence, knowing that your name is in heaven with Jesus. You're as good as there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine walking around every day with that kind of love and joy and peace? That's why we share good news. Because we want people to know that. To know that. To know that Jesus died for them and their names too can be written there. For those of you who this is your church, do you need any other reason to share good news? I mean, it's as good as done. You've, you've as much as won. Your name is written in heaven. Just tell people that. That's good news. You can tell people that. Look, you've already won. You're playing with house money. What do you have to lose? After all, it's not our church. It isn't really. It's his. We're playing with house money, his money, sharing his news about what he does. And it's not even our church. It's his. He is building it. But he's building it through you. Through you sharing the good news about what he did. Amen. Amen.